Okay, today's topic. Today's topic is um, being functional in a dysfunctional environment. How does one keep their sanity? Marriage, family, office, and friends. Can I hold on? And lastly, will my being functional change the dysfunctional environment? That's what today's topic is about. So first of all, as way of introduction, were I to have received such an email, I would expect the lecturer to be a psychologist with a PhD and not a rabbi or a chassid. So why, uh, why am I giving this uh, lecture? And that's a question, obviously, I had to deal with. Yeah, we talk about relationships, so forth and so on, but at this point, it seems to be really delving into the techniques and the knowledge and wisdom that was given to psychology. So why is, uh, why is this lecture being given by me? Which allows me also to just share with you why HaChaim, the Life Institute, was created. Because to me, this isn't about philosophy or psychology. This is actually about the entire process of Torah. But either way, in my humble opinion, the difference between psychology and um, Hasidus would be that psychology is the gift of being able to deal with human fallacy, weaknesses, and trying to correct and perfect. That would be where psychology would deal with the issue. Let's understand the person, let's understand the imperfections of the human, let's understand how to get over these issues, get by blockages, and move on. While on the other hand, my understanding of Hasidus is it's not about so much fixing, perfecting the human as much as it is absorbing the perfect ways of God. A very different approach. And that is why the concept of Hachayim has always been to actually have divine solutions. Now the difference in this journey would be that one would maybe be a frustrating, struggling part of, my God, I can't believe I have this weakness. I've been working so hard on it. I've already been seeing my psychologist for over four years. We're trying to work on this. I get better. I relapse, move forward, relapse. And it's a very stressful journey. When you look at it from the point of Hasidus, it's not the issue of dealing with your weaknesses as much as it is opening yourself up to divine perfection. The difference between divine solutions and human solutions. I want to take it one step further. When we talk about the difference of how we look at it from a point of psychology or how we look at it from a point of Hasidus. In the world of Hasidus, God is everything and everything is God. Step two, God is perfect. When you look at it from those two fundamental points of views, now what you're experiencing is that there is no such thing as negativity or a fault. Because if God is everything and everything is God and God is perfect, ultimately speaking, everything needs to be good and perfect, at least in its source. So while we would think dysfunctional environment is negative, what we're going to actually explore here is that dysfunctional, functional, being functional in a dysfunctional environment has nothing what to do with fault or negativity. We're actually going to try to look into the source and to see where dysfunctional is actually perfect and godly. Functional is perfect and godly. Being functional in a dysfunctional environment is actually the perfect and godly plan. 
That's what we're going to try to explore here. Let me just make a little bit more sense of it. You guys all learned the story in Genesis that Isaac favored Esau while Rivka, Rebecca favored Jacob, right? Question is, how? Isaac was righteous. Isaac was obviously a holy man. He obviously was not living in denial of the Jewish, my child is perfect and the world is crooked. So what was he doing? Obviously, Rivka saw something. Interesting enough, in the teaching of Hasidus, we focus on a teaching of our sages which says, Esau haktuva baparasha. There are two Esau's. There is the Esau, the potential that's written in the Torah. And in that perspective, Esau is neither evil nor bad. On the contrary, he has greater potential than Jacob. Explained in depth in Hasidus. While on the other hand, the actual Esau was a murderer and an evil person. So understand that when I share with you that the Hasidic view is before we deal with the actual Esau, the one that we really define as negative, let's first look for the Esau Haktuvaba Parsha. Let's first look for the Esau in his original spiritual source, where God is everything, everything is God, and God is perfect. From that perspective, from that perspective, let's go ahead and see who is the Esau that Isaac favored. Why did he favor him? What lies there? Then we'll deal with how Esau really lives in this world. It's a bird's eye view versus a worm's eye view. And I don't mean it negative as psychology being a worm, but on the contrary, the human being has to look up to understand. The bird's eye view is to see everything from above and get the whole picture. So the exploration today is to understand in its perfect godly source functional, dysfunctional environment, and being functional in a dysfunctional environment. My hope, my hope for all of you today is that throughout this exploration, you'll be able to experience what I have found while I was creating this lecture, is to actually realize that it's a beautiful journey and not one that you have to live with shame, struggling, negativity, and frustration. Okay? So, let's begin. Step number two. It's all about me. What does that mean? What that means is that the way up is from within. If you want to understand how it is in the spiritual source, in the divine perfection, we always need to focus on one of the most amazing verses in Genesis. Throughout the process of creation, only once did God say, let us make in my image and likeness. Where is that? Only in the creation of the human. So really what we're going to struggle over here is to go ahead and look within ourselves, find where functional, dysfunctional, being functional in a dysfunctional environment exists within myself. And then we can get a peek at how it is in the divine image and likeness of God. So, while I will admit that I probably started this lecture, I would suggest that many of us are here today by this lecture because we see the outside environment as dysfunctional. We are stuck in a dysfunctional environment. And I, the functional one, want to know how to keep my sanity and be able to be functional in my dysfunctional environment. 
What I'm asking of all of us, myself included, to do for this lecture is leave go of you being the functional one in your dysfunctional family, you being the functional one in your dysfunctional office, you being the functional one in the dysfunctional world. Let's take it all about me. I am the functional, I am the dysfunctional, and I'm trying to struggle and figure out how to be functional in my dysfunctional environment. That's the only way, once I see it within myself, that is really the only way I can hope to fulfill the inner meaning of that verse. Let us make mankind in my image and likeness. So it's, if it's in within me, then it's within the likeness and image of God. Then I can get a peek at how every part of this is all about perfect, godly, and enjoyable. It's a beautiful experience rather than a human curse that we're going to struggle our life through. Okay? What is the definition of dysfunctional environment? An interesting question. What defines, and I'm looking for the picture as I'm trying to go ahead and figure out where we start from. So I'm looking for the picture. What is the picture of a functional within a dysfunctional environment? Interesting enough, the first picture that came to my mind is a Jew in exile. I want to talk about this for a moment because it's in two levels. A Jew in exile, I would say, is where you actually see functional, trying to be functional within a dysfunctional environment. And I want to be clear. I am not saying that our lifestyle is functional, other people's lifestyles are not functional. I want you just to have a picture for a moment, okay? You have a land mammal that was thrown into the ocean. So you have two pictures here. For the fish, it's a functional creature in a functional environment. For the land mammal, it's a functional creature in a dysfunctional environment because a land mammal doesn't function well in water. To him, living in water is dysfunctional. So just picture it that way. For the Jew, Torah and mitzvahs defines what it means to be in a functional environment. For a Jew to be in exile, while that would be functional for other nations that have a different definition of functional, by God, not by man. God has defined different definitions of functional and dysfunctional. Uh, just to throw at you a simple example. Other than a Jew, there is no obligation to keep kosher or not work on Shabbat. So, for a non-Jew to go ahead and go and catch up in the office on Shabbat is very functional. For a Jew, that would be dysfunctional. For a non-Jew to go ahead and have a nice, very nice non-kosher pork would be functional. For a Jew, that would be dysfunctional. So remember, I'm not being racist here and saying functional, dysfunctional. Every creature needs to know where it's functional. Land creatures are functional on earth, on land, and sea creatures are in the water. So let's just look at exile just from that perspective. The definition of a functional environment for a Jew, and I'm not yet talking about our personal lives, what we do or don't do, because regardless of how we were brought up, one was brought up in religious practices, one wasn't. The understanding, just the Jewish understanding, regardless of where you find yourself in the broad, beautiful spectrum of observance presently. The definition of functional for a Jew, we would all agree, is living in a city where no one works on Shabbat, so you're not even challenged. There is no non-kosher restaurant, so you're not challenged. 
Mikveh is just a normal way of married people. That would be the functional environment of a Jew. That's who we are. That's what makes us Jewish. And that would be a functional environment. Then you have the dysfunctional environment where all of a sudden everything that allows us to be functional in our own functional state of being is challenged. When you talk about a student on college campus who's struggling between his or her own identity while trying to swim through the raging ocean to reach the shores of success, when there is that struggle between the two balances, you're looking at a functional person trying to be functional in what would be to him a dysfunctional environment. A functional environment for a Jewish college student is that there is no classes on Shabbat. At least not classes where you have to write, take tests, I need to get a note from my rabbi, I can't come in this day, don't take it off my credits. That's a dysfunctional environment for a Jew. A functional environment would be you walk down the street, everything is kosher, everything is Shomer Shabbat, everything is Sneos, and it's all beautiful. So one image that came to my mind and step number one is functional person in a dysfunctional environment would be a Jew in exile. I do want to take it a step further. Let's not ignore the historical facts. Functional in a dysfunctional environment used to be a lot more than that. Please join me for a moment of the picture of the shtetl Yid who never knew which Sunday Mass was going to end up in a huge pogrom. Let's not be oblivious to a different set of being functional in a dysfunctional environment. And while I chose to focus on not the negativity of exile, as in pogroms or stuff like that, I do want to take your attention to a deeper dysfunctional situation. Do you want to think of the perfect picture of being functional in a dysfunctional environment? You may want to travel with me for a moment right now to the Middle East. Or if you don't want to go the long route, let's go to the real short route, and let's go to New York, to the UN, and let's sit through a session. Let's talk about what it means of struggling to be functional in a dysfunctional environment. That is the life of Israel every single day of its existence. They're struggling to be functional in an absolutely dysfunctional environment. Once again, I interject my humble opinion. I think in most fundamental issues of security, the government of Israel has been failing miserably in being able to be functional in a dysfunctional environment. That's my political take for this lecture. But I just want you to get a clear picture of what it means to be functional in a dysfunctional environment. Where everything that's going on, and Israel still has to, willingly, maintain its definition of moral, godly, functional. There's no blanket bombing. There's dropping notes, letting people know, move out, we're about to bomb here. Being functional in a dysfunctional environment is a reality of the Jewish person. It will be the reality of the government of Israel, the people of Israel, the state of Israel, until Mashiach comes. So understand that when we choose this concept of being functional in a dysfunctional environment, when I sat down to actually work on it, I realized it isn't about me, my family, me and this and me and that. It's actually about the entire scope of a Jew in exile. Always struggling to be functional 
in a dysfunctional environment. But that still is talking about the bigger picture. I started off by saying the way up is through within. So let's take it to our personal lives. You want to have another quick picture of what it means to be functional in a dysfunctional environment? You may want to, for a moment, draw up this picture in your mind. Your soul stuck within your body and all its animalistic soul's desires. Does anyone know why a godly soul comes down into this world? Why would a soul leave heaven and come down to this chaotic planet Earth? The answer is one reason. The answer is because a soul knows that the only place where it can really fulfill God's will and give God ultimate pleasure from His desire being fulfilled is down here on Earth where freedom of choice exists. Now decide whether you will do mitzvot or not do mitzvot. You will learn or you won't learn. Then what happens is the soul is all gung-ho. It's finally going to get its chance in a lifetime to stand before its king, its creator, and really do what God wants. It doesn't even entertain the thought that it may be challenged because it's in a perfect environment, a very functional environment called heaven. The soul does not know what it means for a functional creature to be in a dysfunctional environment. And then it's introduced into its body, into its animalistic soul, and into this world. I want to just share with you what that means so we can get a clear picture rather than we all came in here, I'm assuming, with a very rigid, narrow picture of what this class needs to be about. Functional me, dysfunctional everyone else, and how do I be functional and dysfunctional? We're going on an interesting exploration here. We're going up, and then we're going to come back down, hopefully. But the point here is as follows. So the soul cannot wait to spend its life learning Torah, davening, giving charity, doing mitzvahs, helping people, tikkun olam, tikkun midot. It's got a whole list, a Hanukkah list that can't wait to fulfill. And then what happens? All of a sudden, understand what the feeling of the Nisham is, functional in a dysfunctional. It comes down here to be godly and Jewish and do what's right in Torah and mitzvahs, and then it finds out it's going to be spending six days of its week in an office, frustrated, trying to earn a living, just trying to pay bills. Imagine the feeling of the functional soul in this dysfunctional environment. Many of us, when we even hear these words, we're like, what? Isn't life about, you know, you got to pay bills. Yeah, we got to dive, we got to do this, got to do that. But, you know, we got, we got to make it in life. We got to go ahead and provide for our kids and yada, yada. And all of a sudden, stop for a second. Is that why your soul came down here? Your soul came down to what? Make six digits a year? What was your soul thinking? Why did your soul come down here? And all of a sudden, you realize, whoa, this may be a dysfunctional environment for my functional soul who used to live in a functional environment called heaven, spirituality, godly, Torah, mitzvahs. So when we talk about this concept of functional and dysfunctional, understand what it means to your soul, that when you wake up in the morning, you race through a Shema, you barely have time to say your whole prayers, you're off to your office. You come back, you're zonked, you definitely have no time for no Shi'ur Torah or too many mitzvot. In this economy, probably you lowered your gift. So understand what's going on in this Neshama's world. And then finally, Shabbos. Beautiful moment, Shabbos. 
Finally, the soul gives a breath of, wow, now it's my turn. Imagine how your soul feels when you introduce it to the sacred custom called siesta. Imagine what that soul feels like. Six days, it was pushing and struggling. Okay, I need to understand the body. He's got bills. He's an FPL. The FPL won't get paid by Shulchan Aruch or by a Bible verse. We got to make money. We got to go here. We got to pay for tuition. Let's do it. And then it waits for Shabbat, Friday night. Finish. Business is closed. There's no more body earning money. My turn. Siesta. Think about what it means to the neshama. No learning with your children. No slower prayers. No spending some time with your own Torah research. We need to rest. It's been a long week. It's going to be a longer week. Think about what your soul feels. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was going through this process with myself, talking to myself about this, I just thought to myself, imagine what my soul said to me the first time on Shabbat I introduced it to this wonderful siesta. I, my Mishagas, I think in pictures, my image was the Nishama looking at me with such an innocent, naive face, asking me, what is the siesta? It must be Shabbos, right? We're talking about not even yet stage two. Remember in exile, I told you two stages. One is both are good, but they just don't fit well together. The second one was not so good, UN, Middle East. Now let's talk about the same thing with our world, in my own life. Godly soul and negative soul, and not negative, God forbid. Godly soul and animalistic soul and body. And in that picture you have the functional and the dysfunctional, not because the body is dysfunctional, the body was created by God. Paying bills was a system created by God. The mana was not meant to last. So God created it, so it isn't a question of good and bad. It's a question of, for the soul, this is dysfunctional. Let's take it to the worst one. Let's take it to the pogroms. Think about how the soul feels when not only is it in a dysfunctional environment because you're not spending time doing only Jewish things. Let's talk about the next stage, sin. Imagine what that feels to the godly soul who came all the way down here for one purpose, <coughs> And now, not only isn't it getting to spend its entire time doing that purpose, it's actually being forced to participate in quite the contrary. So when you talk about functional in a dysfunctional environment, we've already taken it from the great big world into my own little being. But the point over here was to make it holy. Let's get holy. In the, godly soul, in the godly soul itself, there is the functional and the dysfunctional. Now, I just said the word godly soul. So, the dysfunctional can't be bad. We're talking about dysfunctional within the realm of the godly soul, where there everything is perfect. What would that be? What would be the functional of the godly soul? And what would be the dysfunctional environment of the godly soul? So, the soul is made up of ten attributes. Those ten attributes are divided into two categories. Category number one, intellect. Three intellects. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Category number two, seven emotions. 
just to name a few the first three and then we'll use the etc. There's love, there's fear, and there's compassion. And it goes further. Loving God, fearing God. Now, let's talk about these two categories. I would suggest that in these two categories, the intellect is the functional one. The emotions is going to be, at least for the world of the intellect, dysfunctional. Let's talk in pictures so we can connect with this. Not going to be some abstract thought. So you guys are sitting here. You've got a serious situation on your hand, and you're trying to figure it out. You know there's got to be an answer. There's got to be a solution. Let me sit down, and let me figure this one out. And all of a sudden, it dawns upon you, whoa, 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 I think I'm getting the solution. What normally happens then? You start getting excited. What's the first thing your intellect's going to do? It's going to tell you to shush up. Because the intellect knows that the job is not finished. You're just starting to get a glimpse of the solution. You need to work out the solution. And here is the real point of the functional and the dysfunctional between the intellect and the emotion. The intellect is calm. The intellect is functional. The intellect is productive. Now, try to introduce into that place the chaotic hyperness of passion and emotions. Understand that within your soul itself, the environment is the emotions, and within that environment, there is the functional mind. And within your own being, you will always have this divine struggle of trying to be functional in a dysfunctional situation, environment, shall we say. Because, and let's just work to step two. Within your own being, even your emotions, which I can picture, would once in a while tell my intellect, oh, come on, give it a break, have some fun. That's what the emotions would do to the intellect. But you and I would agree that even your emotions are very respectful and very appreciative of the functionality of your intellect. Your emotions do not want your intellect to stop becoming chaotic. Just by the way, parenthetically interjecting, because this is what I do all the time, please know it's the same with your children. Your children are the dysfunctional environment, you are their functional parent, and please know that your children are begging for discipline. Your children do not want you to become like them. As much as they're screaming and crying, please understand that the dysfunctional, and I mean that in a healthy way here, the dysfunctional child is relying and appreciating the fact that the functional parent will always keep it safe and straight. The moment where the parent gets childish with the child, that's good for the child once a week, once a month. They don't want you to be childish with them. They need you to be that stationary, functional element in their lives. Now go back to your own self. In your own self, you have a child. Emotions in Tanya is defined as offspring. It's a child. And the emotions do tell the brain over and over again, would you just give it a break? Come on, go out, enjoy yourself. But nevertheless, the emotions, the dysfunctional, 
is always very respectful and very reliant and appreciative on the stability of the functioning mind. How does your intellect feel about your emotions? The one word that comes to my mind is frustration. You ever have that type of relationship? You ever watch such a movie where there's the serious character and then there's the lively character? And you notice that the serious character, no matter whether he likes the lively character or not, he's constantly frustrated by him. The guy's not letting him function. You cannot do your homework in a room where there's music blasting and the TV's on and you're doing it, well, unless you're a teenager. But other than that, people don't, they don't function that way. My office needs to be clean. My office needs to be an environment where I can think, where I can work on solutions, make plans, implement those plans. That's where the functional part of me is. The other side of me, the, the lively part, the all emotional, passionate and everything, that's all beautiful. But it's a dysfunctional part to my intellect. And my intellect is extremely frustrated when it's trying to work on something and all of a sudden you get the itch. Can't sit in your chair no more. You're excited. You're this. You're that. Now I want to share with you again. We're not even talking about negative emotions. Do you know what the emotions of the godly soul is? Love God. Fear God. Those are holy. So in this realm, we're talking about dysfunctional not as a negative thing. At this point, we're in the domain of God is everything, everything is God, and God is perfect. So understand that now when we talk about the definition of dysfunctional, we're talking about the holy dysfunctional. There's a mitzvah in the Torah, and you shall love God. That's not an intellectual mitzvah. There's a whole book about that, an amazing book called Chovas Halavavas, Duties of the Heart. Why is it called Chovas Halavavas? Because those are the mitzvahs where the brain... It's not, I'm not, it's not a vow, but it's not the house of that mitzvah. The house of loving God, fearing God. That's in the heart. That's in the emotions. So this is important. But nevertheless, even though it's holy, it's mandatory, understand that to your better self, which considers yourself an intellectual human being, the difference between the human and the animal kingdom, Understand from that perspective, emotions are dysfunctional. It's like Noah in the ark, a human trapped amongst animals. They're passionate, they're excited, they're waiting to break free, they're waiting for a free-spirited run, and the mind keeps on saying, shush up, I'm trying to get things done. So while the emotions have a deep appreciation and respect to the mind, the intellect, the intellect mostly spends its time frustrated with the emotions. I can't speak for all of you. I can just share with you my personal experiences. There are times where I tangibly feel frustrated at my emotions. Frustrated at my emotions, I'm not even talking about my non-kosher emotions that we live to struggle with. Even with my kosher emotions, when you're learning something and the lecture is finally taking place and you get excited, finish. you got to walk away from the computer. You cannot keep on typing when you're excited. So you take a walk, you try to calm yourself down, says, come on, i got to get this done, I'm almost there, i am got to finish this. So understand that even in your holy self, which is what this lecture really is, the exploration of this lecture, in your holy self, there's a holy dysfunctional, there's a holy functional, and the functional is struggling. 
How am I supposed to be functional in this dysfunctional environment? God, why did you stick me together with these seven emotions that cannot handle anything? Introduce them a little bit of a thought and they're all excited, they're antsy, they're jumping, they're ooing, they're owing. I just want to be functional. Let me just get this whole thing straight. So what I'm introducing to you now is that please understand from the perspective of Hasidus, again, the entire structure of HaChayim, the Life Institute, is talking about divine solutions where understanding there is no struggle in your life that is negative. It manifested itself negative. But in its source, if you're experiencing it, it's because it's within your inner makings. Your inner makings is your godly soul. Your godly soul is perfect. It is created in God's image and in God's likeness. Why Esau couldn't live up to the potential of what he was meant to be? Why did it have to manifest itself in a negative way? Voila! I would like to introduce you to freedom of choice. But realize that when you want to go ahead and fix it, there is a different way. I'm not putting psychologists out of business. People should go to psychologists they need, just like you go to any other profession. You need help, you go to an accountant. You need help, you go to a doctor. You need certain issues that you need to work out, you go to a psychologist. So. But I'm just introducing to you that as a Jew, you also have a different view of it all. It's not just a human view of human struggles, where there's really good and there's really bad. There's also the divine view, where there's really good and there's really good. Now how good plus good equals bad, that's the human struggle to make sure that it doesn't go that route. So when we talk today about being functional in a dysfunctional environment, in order to get back into what we really think we're here for, where we're the functional ones amongst a bunch of dysfunctional family, spouse, kids, everything, everything's wrong. Why did God put me, the functional one, in this dysfunctional family, this dysfunctional city, this dysfunctional job? Let's leave that for a moment. Let's get a bird's eye view. And from there, let's come back down and see how we deal with it on planet Earth. So again, the definition of a functional in the dysfunctional for a human being, for the godly soul created in the image and likeness of God, God created ten spherot, ten emanations. That's why the reflection in the human soul is ten attributes, three intellects, seven emotions. There you're talking about the functional stuck in the dysfunctional environment and now we need to figure out how can one be functional in a dysfunctional environment. Before I get to that, I want to just share with you one more concept. Again, I'm going to digress. I want to ask you the big question. You know what the big question is ever since you were a child? Why? That's the big question. Big question. Why? Why did God make this ridiculous shidduch matchmaking? You know, sometimes we look at people and we wonder, what were they thinking when they got married? Let's think about this. What was God thinking when he made this beautiful shidduch? Three intellects, introduce it to seven emotions. Now play house. How does that happen? Well, what do you do? What was God thinking? We've just learned that everything about what the godly soul in its intellectual realm considers functional, it considers the emotional realm dysfunctional. It's as if God purposely took a fine young person and stuck him with a nag that's going to frustrate the entire life of this part one. 
So every time the intellectual is getting somewhere, emotional starts getting excited, and then you always see that view, you know, of the producer taking the papers and throwing it down, forget it, I'm out of here. That's what you can picture your intellectual doing every time your emotional side starts raving chaos and havoc in its life. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to be quiet, I'm trying to work this out, there's a solution here. You're sticking your hakmi at China with fear, with worry, with love, with all other issues. This is not the issue, this is a very simple issue. Can we sit down and work this out quietly, please? The functional and the dysfunctional environment. That's what you're experiencing on the godly soul. And the question that we're asking here is, why? Why did God make this shidduch? I want to read to you a quote. This is a quote from the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, the first book that the Rebbe, actually first or second book, the two first books. But one of the books that the Rebbe made before the Rebbe became Rebbe, he was told by his father-in-law that he should create a calendar for the year 1933, Tavshin Gimel 5703, he should create a calendar that every single day should have a Hasidic saying. And that's what the Rebbe did. We actually use that every single day. So I want to read to you a quote from there, okay? Intellect and excitement, by the way, this is the teaching for the 12th day of the month of Shvat. Intellect and excitement are two separate worlds. Intellect, a world cold and settled. Excitement, a world seething and impetuous. Man's avoida, which is the Hebrew word for service to God, is to combine them, unite them. The impetuousness then becomes transformed into a longing and the intellect into the guide in a life of avoda and action. I want to tell you what I hear here. But in order to tell you what I hear here, I want to just share with you another teaching from the same book. This one is from the 6th of Tevet. A verse from Chronicles, Divya Yomim. Know the God of your fathers and serve him with a whole heart. Every sort of Torah knowledge and comprehension, even the most profound, must be expressed in Avoda. Example, the intellectual attainment must bring about an actual refinement and improvement of character traits and must be translated into a deep-rooted inward attachment to God, all of which is what the Hasidic lexicon calls Avoda. What did you just hear in these two quotes? I'll share with you what I heard. I read it to you because I didn't want you to be stuck just with my interpretation. This one is my interpretation. What I'm hearing here is that the Rebbe Blessed Memory is teaching us it's never just about the intellect. It's about character refinement. It's about service. It's about action. So was your brain to be the only part of the shidduch, you'd never really fulfill the gift of life. Because the gift of life is when you take the knowledge, the abstract knowledge that you have, and you turn it into a way of life, action. Now, even Anthony Robbins knows that intellect does not perpetuate action. Passion, emotion, is what perpetuates action. I can sit and talk to you coldly about what's right and wrong, and you will go out of here and do exactly what's wrong. But if I can share it with you in a way that you take the knowledge of right and wrong, and you turn it into a real passion, then you're going to change then you're going to work on yourself. You're going to change your situation. You're passionate about what you now know is right. 
and therefore knowing is no more enough. You now understand why this shidduch is so important? You now understand that the functional intellect by itself is going nowhere fast? You understand now that with the emotions, with the chaotic, with the passionate, with the impetuous, that whole dysfunctional scene of emotions, you're getting places. At this point, what you know in your brain now becomes a way of life. So, parenthetically speaking, before we talk about how to be functional in a dysfunctional environment, I first wanted to share why it's so important from a divine, beautiful perspective that we make the shidduch between the functional brain and the dysfunctional, chaotic heart. Because without it, life is not life. The real place where you serve God is through the action of Torah study, through the action of prayer, and most importantly, through the action of mitzvah observance. Was the soul only to be the three amazing intellects of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the divine soul, you would not fulfill anything in life. You would live 120 years, die a genius, having accomplished nothing. So this shidduch between the functional and the dysfunctional is actually extremely beautiful, extremely divine, and extremely purposeful. I didn't put this in my notes because in my notes I didn't want to go there. But I want to just share with you now because we're going to get now into what we really think is functional and dysfunctional. Is that you realize it's the same way in your life. I'm just going to take a moment of reality here, reality check. Show me the person that got married and spent their entire life in a honeymoon. 80 years of marital bliss. We all say that by our golden anniversary because it's what you're supposed to say, unless you want to have another fight. <laughs> but the bottom line is, if you think about it in a realistic way, I believe that every married human being has at one time asked themselves, why did God make me be married to this person. There's got to be that moment, it's got to be the silliest fight, the biggest fight, whatever it's going to be. Every human being is going to go through that moment. Why God? <laughs> this is like, you know, in Hebrew they have a saying, sir a pot and a cover. Most of us at some time in our marriage, we don't look at it as a pot and a cover. It just doesn't fit. Do you know Personally, share with you a personal thing on, on camera, okay? <laughs> Hope my wife never goes onto the internet. Do you know what my answer ultimately always is? When I look at myself, I'm being open with you, in my total arrogance, of course I'm the functional one, of course my wife is the dysfunctional one. Would it be any other way? And then I ask myself, Hashem, why did you give me, the gifted functional one, such a dysfunctional spouse? That's the egocentric self. I'm the perfect, everyone else is wrong. That's why we all came to this class. Rabbi, weren't you supposed to tell me how to fix my husband? Why are you talking to me about me? But the bottom line is that in this situation, I want you to know that just like I just shared with you, the only way for the functional intellect to really be able to actualize its potential in living life, it needs to have what Anthony Robbins calls the power of passion because you don't do things driven by intellect, 
You do things driven by passion. Remember that time when you were going to buy something, you said you wanted to think it over, and the salesman told you, but I can't promise you he's going to be here. Oops, introduce emotion, fear. Okay, let's write out the check. So you need to have passion. I want to tell you it's the same thing with every person's relationship. God has never made a mistake yet. And when God introduced Miss A to Mr. A, that wasn't a mistake. So in my personal life, no matter how frustrated I am and how arrogantly I feel like the functional person stuck in a dysfunctional marriage, I always am able to tell myself, same, not me, it's my teachers, what they put in me. Because this wife is the one who's going to allow me to actualize my real potential and live life. Would I wanted to have had a subservient, what do you want, honey, when can I be there for you? Yeah, that would have been nice, but maybe not. Just like intellect needs to get over its frustration and start, forgive the wording, because I don't mean it that way, making love to emotions, every one of us needs to stop getting over being so frustrated with the marriage we're stuck into and start being able to deal with God doesn't make mistakes. He made a shidduch between intellect and emotions. He made a shidduch between Avrami and Rivka. He made a shidduch between me and my husband or wife. And just like intellect needs emotions to really be able to live life, I need my wife to be able to live life. I need the job I'm stuck in to live life. I need to have the challenges with the children that I have to live life. I just wanted to put that in par parenthetically. Now let's go to the real point of the class. So now we're understanding that this functional and dysfunctional, one's not good, another's not bad, it's good, and it's always good, they're both good, and now there's the beautiful journey of a divine life of being able to be functional in a dysfunctional environment. For that, I need to introduce one more question. Chassidus is always that way. We answer questions with questions. You've all heard that joke from me before, the rabbi and the priest walking down the street, they were friends, and the priest turns around to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I need to ask you this question. Why do you Jews always answer a question with a question? The rabbi looks at him and says, why not? <laughs> That's just the way we work, and there's a reason for that. Giving an answer means you didn't explore. Questions is where exploration takes place. So I want to ask you one more question as the answer. So what I suggested here is intellect is functional, Emotions are chaotic and dysfunctional. And now the question is, how can intellect remain functional in a dysfunctional environment? Now I want to ask you a question. Is intellect really all that functional? Let me put it to you in a, in a, in a more straight way. Is intellect dysfunctional proof? I want to share with you that throughout history, some of the most evil people were brilliant. Many dysfunctional people are not just because they don't know how to control their emotions. Many people, God protect us, are really intellectually dysfunctional. My grandmother had a phrase. You know what it was? A krumekop. I speak a little Yiddish? A crooked head. So here's not a question of, I know what's right, I want to do what's wrong, and can I be functional in a dysfunctional situation? No. Here I'm sharing with you that even the intellect itself, most often 
becomes self-serving, at that point it has become dysfunctional. You're no more searching truth, you're searching to justify what you want the truth should be. In the history of the world, and I hate using these names, Hitler was brilliant. Stalin was brilliant. These weren't stupid, dysfunctional brains. They were actually brilliant minds. Go through the world and you'll look, the history. There are geniuses who their minds are dysfunctional. So what we're introducing over here is that it's not just that the brain is functional and the emotions are dysfunctional in the sense of chaotic. We're now introducing that even the mind is not dysfunctional proof. The mind can become dysfunctional. Now, usually you say no pun intended, I will say pun yes intended. When you are over your head in dysfunctionality, you cannot rely that your brain, your mind, the functional part of you will be able to keep its sanity and remain functional. Let me give a simple example. Let's face it. How many times in a dysfunctional situation have I lost it and decided I'm going to react dysfunctional? And it's justified because the perpetrator was being very dysfunctional to me. And one must fight fire with fire. So I'm sick and tired of being abused by being the functional one so he knows or she knows no matter what he or she does to me, you can rely on Rumi's going to be functional. You know what? I've had it with that. You're being dysfunctional? I'm going to react dysfunctional. Now here's a rule, guys. A rule, if one thing you take from this class, take this rule. It is never functional to be dysfunctional. So what we're introducing over here is that even your functional brain, the intellectual part of you, who knows how to calm down, see the situation, dissect the situation, be able to see the way out of the darkness, find the solution, and implement it, you can't rely on it. Even your functional self will come to times where it's over its head and it will react dysfunctional. Now that we understand that, Let's get to how can we be functional in a dysfunctional environment. I will tell you once again, I think in pictures, from the moment that I took upon myself this lecture, I had one picture in my mind. Anchors. Anchor. You know what an anchor is? Absolute anchors. The picture in my mind, from the moment I was questioning myself, functional in a dysfunctional environment, what I've always seen, that picture which led me through this entire class, was of a boat on water. Water, by nature, is not sturdy. It's not stationary. The boat, because it's made out of sturdy, stationary materials, it needs to be either in controlled motion, or anchored to sturdy stability. To me, when I think of a functional in a dysfunctional environment, especially when we're talking about it now, there's no good and there's no bad, how much more so in a situation where there is a good and a bad, I always picture somehow this functional boat needs to drop absolute anchors into an absolute sturdy bedrock. 
if it cannot reach an absolute sturdy bedrock where its anchor can really anchor itself, it can never really be sure that it will always remain functional in a dysfunctional environment. That really is the point of this entire lecture. These words play in your head. Absolute anchors into absolute solid bedrock. Now let's talk about that. Practically speaking. What does it mean, practically speaking, to drop absolute anchors, it's on, sorry, absolute anchors into absolute bedrocks? And I will, my producer gave me the, so we're going to go ahead and speed it up. What does it mean to have absolute anchors into absolute bedrocks? What does it mean on a practical sense? We can talk about this over and over. Let's get straight to the practical part of it. Number one, A, the anchor within yourself. I started by saying that the way up is from within. Stop looking just for external help. You need to find solid bedrock within you. What does that mean? In yourself, I want to tell you what that means. In your relationships and in your struggle with yourself, within yourself you have an absolute bedrock. To make it very brief and short, there's got to be a part within you that isn't thrown to the waves of relativity. You know that famous, you know, the girl with the little uh, sunflower, he loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not. That can't be where you're going to anchor it. Because that's, loves me, loves me not. We're in a fight, loves me not. He bought me a gift, loves me yes. So there's got to be a solid anchorage. There's got to be a real solid, absolute bedrock. You know what that is? Yesterday I came across this most amazing thought. There's a difference between giving in and giving up. Listen to these words, because that's your absolute bedrock. There's a piece of you that has given in, but has not given up. In your relationship, there's got to be, if you want to anchor yourself to survive the dysfunctional of putting male and female species together, like really stuck together, if you want to be able to overcome that dysfunctional, in a good way, dysfunctional environment, you need to be able to find within yourself that absolute bedrock. The one that at times you have given in to the dysfunctional analogy of your marriage, but you've never given up on the functionality of your marriage. There isn't that point where I just want out. Once you have that point, your anchor has disconnected from your absolute bedrock and is now swaying in the water. It may be because the waters have gotten too deep and your chain isn't long enough. Well, come up with some more chain if you want to save your marriage. you got to get that anchor into the real, absolute bedrock where within yourself you know, I have loved this man, I do love this man, and I hate the way this marriage is right now. And I have participated in the dysfunctionality. Because when he used some choice words and hurtful expressions, so did I. I gave in, but I have not given up. Your bedrock absoluteness, where you need to connect with an absolute anchor, needs to be that place. The place that knows, okay, so I gave in, but I haven't given up. That's about your marriage, your relationships. Let's talk now about yourself. 
How many times have you promised yourself you won't do this again? And there you go, you did it again. There too, I'm going to be finished in two minutes. There too, there is the absolute not giving up, even though in the relativity of it all, you keep on giving in. I promise myself, well, we don't need to pick nasty things. Let's just talk about we're on a diet and there's that delicious ice cream. You know you're not going to. You promised yourself before you left the house, I'm not going to do it, and you did it. And then you look at yourself and you say, I'm never going to change. I'm just not going to change. I have no self-control. There is no solid bedrock in my life. Wrong. Let out some more chain. Find a piece of you within you that has never given up on the fact that you are a functional human being that sometimes gets caught up in its dysfunctional environment. When you find that place, that bedrock place within you that never gave up while it gave in, so it knows I am a perfect marriage in a dysfunctional state. I'm a perfect human being in a dysfunctional state. And I've given in many times to being dysfunctional. But I've never given up that I could be functional and my marriage could be functional. Last step. Second to the last step, sorry. The absoluteness cannot be just within yourself. You need to have an absolute out of yourself. Remember we spoke about how many times you got just lost it in a fight and you're so angry at yourself and maybe that's why you're angry at your spouse because somehow he just keeps on bringing the worst out of you and you became dysfunctional, you were screaming and you can't stand that you were screaming. You're more upset at the fact that you were screaming that you were screamed at. And you hate that. I want to be with someone that brings the best out of me. So really you cannot rely just on your own self. So what we need to experience is, you need to anchor into an absolute set of right and wrongs. That regardless of how bad and dysfunctional your spouse, child, boss, whatever it's going to be, was to you, you know that you have anchored yourself into an absolute functional set of right and wrongs and I will do what is right. People, for the Jews, that is the Torah. The Torah is where you go and you say, I am so mad at this person, I think the right thing to do is A, B, and C. But one second. I am willing to submit that my not dysfunctional proof intellect is going to be subservient and accept that there is an absolute functional set of rules. So even though I think that this person did such a nasty deal with me and now I haven't escrowed this money and I could get even with this person, I need to see if the functional Torah tells me I could. If the functional Torah tells me I can't, I don't care that everyone in the office is telling me you are such a sucker and that's why everyone always does this to you. You are the most abusable person in the world. Sorry, I don't go there. It's very simple. I live in a dysfunctional environment. I myself am not dysfunctional proof. I have anchored myself into that which is dysfunctional proof. Absolute. For the Jews, that is the Torah. Which leads me to the next step of external absolute. The law, Jewish law says, no person can be ultimately objective with themselves. You need to have a mentor. Even when you learn Torah, it is so easy to read the law backwards just because you really want it to say what it doesn't say. 
You need to be able to create a mentor. And I want to tell you in one sentence what a mentor is because we don't, we're really out of time. A mentor means if you're my mentor, I will talk to you, I will listen to you, I will argue with you. Now put this in bold italics and then I will accept what you said. That's what it means to have a mentor. Being able to say that my anchor is now in the dysfunctionally functionality of the environment and it's swaying like this and like that. I need to be able to accept if I trust you, I like you, I respect you, you are my mentor, then I am willing to say, I will argue with you, you don't understand, you're taking his side, you're just thinking this and that, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's better to be divorced than to be married. I'll go through the whole screaming fit with you. And then I'm going to say, so what should I do? That's called having an absolute anchor outside of your dysfunctional environment. Okay. Last point, guys, in closing. You do not have the luxury to be honest and naive in a dysfunctional environment. I'm going to say that one more time. You do not have the luxury to be honest and naive in a dysfunctional environment. Because not only are you not helping the dysfunctional person, you're actually participating in him becoming more dysfunctional. Once again, play the scene of giving money to an alcoholic who tells you he's starving. That is why, that is exactly why it is so important that your anchor not be yourself. Because it is so tricky in a dysfunctional environment to know what is right and what is wrong. When are you acting in anger, hurt, shame, vengeance? And when are you trying to be higher functional person? So what you heard me say in closing, guys. Number one, the if I skip the whole first half, that functional dysfunctional is also beautiful. Let's get to the point, the practical part. Number one, you must have absolute anchors into absolute bedrock. You need to find a place in you that never gives up, even though sometimes it gives in. You need to find a higher authority known as the Torah, in which you say, regardless of how right I think it is, if the Torah says it's wrong, I won't do it. No matter how much I don't want to do this for him, if the Torah says I should do it, I will do it. Absolute bedrock. Number two, you need to be able to find also someone who you trust as an objective mentor who will be able to tell you, I hear your logic, but in this dysfunctional situation, that's not what you should do. This is what you should do. I will suggest that you talk to that mentor, you listen to that mentor, you argue with that mentor, but at the end of the day, if you made him your mashpia, to quote ethics of our fathers, provide yourself with a teacher, then accept that this is what you're going to do. Or what you're not going to do. That's it for today, guys.